The Triathlon Show 413. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Parker Spencer. Parker is the head coach and senior development manager of USA Triathlon's Project Podium, which is a men's elite development program based at Arizona State University. Uh, this is a project that is designed to develop top young male athletes toward future Olympic qualification and ultimately to be Olympic medal contenders. And we will hear a lot more about that and how Parker is building the daily training environment in the interview. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. They help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium and fluid intake and you can also book a free 20 minute video call station to chat through your plan with the athlete support team i've used their entire range of products for a long time and i think they're absolutely brilliant and you can get 15 percent off your first order by using the code tts23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com and thank you to Form. The Form smart swim goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training right on the goggle lens, including split, pace, choke rate, and heart rate. This means that you can execute your swim workouts better and get a better idea of your ability to hold certain paces and stroke rates and understand when and why you start to slow down. The best thing is that you can see and interpret this data in real-time in the session so it's actually actionable and can help you right then and there. Also, especially if you're swimming solo, it adds more fun and engagement to swim training, which uh, might make you look forward to your swim sessions in a completely different way way you can get 15% off the goggles with the code tts15 on formswim.com forward slash tts now without any further ado here's my interview with parker spencer welcome to that triathlon show parker how are you doing this morning doing great thanks a lot for having me yeah it's a pleasure to have you can we start with an introduction tell us more about who you are yeah my name is parker spencer I'm the Project Podium Head Coach for USA Triathlon. So basically, I'll, I'll tell a whole lot more about this program as the interview goes on. But I, I'm responsible for recruitment and development of our young male triathletes in the U.S. And then with the ultimate goal of them earning medals at the Olympic Games. So there's a lot to it. You, you bring them in at a very young age and for the first year of my job with them in the program, a lot of it's just helping them grow up as an adult. And then triathlon's kind of secondary to that. But I've been doing this with USA Triathlon since 2018. And then before that, I coached some professional under 23-year-old athletes, from mainly from Europe, and then worked in, for an age group triathlon company before that. Right. Yeah. Let's go into Project Podium in a bit more detail because that that's something that I'm very interested in in hearing more about. I think I think first of all, maybe we can explain a little bit. Triathlon is a candidate NCAA sport for for women, but not for men. Can Can you just talk a little bit more about how that works? Because when you meant, as you mentioned, Project Podium is a men's only program, and if I understand correctly, one of the reasons is because of the NCAA status or candidate status that it has on the women's side. So it's a bit of a counterpoint, but I'm not fully yeah. familiar with how it all works. So maybe you can do a better job of explaining it. Yeah. So NCAA is. 
I mean, it's basically the United States development programs for any sport. They've that's where most of our Olympians and other sports come out of. And several years back, I think we're actually on the eighth or ninth year at this point, we started NCAA triathlon. We have a something in the United States called Title IX, which is a law that basically requires there to be, there's a lot to Title IX, but where where it affects sports is there has to be a certain ratio of female athletes to male athletes on a college campus. And when you look at the sport of football, American football, there is 80 plus athletes on a, on a football team all male. And so that, that throws the ratios very far off. So universities have to add female only sports. And one of the ways that we saw that for triathlon actually to be added as an NCAA sport and be successful as if it was female only so that it helps universities with their quota that they have to hit. And I think at this point, we have 43 universities around the country that have women's triathlon. And there's about 10 to 12 athletes per team on that. So it's, it's continuing to grow and continuing to get more successful. And we've get more and more successful universities that are adding triathlon. But it, in the US, our women's triathlon team has been one of the most successful in the world. And we've gotten multi, multiple Olympic medals out of that. And then our men have been far, far behind the women. So we started Project Podium in 2018 so that we didn't rely on our best male triathletes graduating high school, graduating the junior ranks of focusing on just running or just swimming for four years and then jumping back into the sport, what we saw was we kept losing our best junior triathletes to NCAA running or NCAA swimming. And then they would come back four years later and they were a worse triathlete than they were when they were 18 years old. So we decided to start this program, try to keep our best young male athletes in the sport of triathlon, continue their development through those really pivotal years of 18 to 23 and they basically go professional right out of high school. And they do also get to go to Arizona State University for free. And we, all of them are online students just because of how much we travel. All of our races, for the most part, are outside of the United States. So it would be impossible for them to be sitting in a, in a classroom and do university the traditional way. Arizona State has one of the largest online universities in the country. So it's been it's been a really easy process for the athletes to take one or two classes at a time. And and now we're in the fifth year of Project Podium and we're finishing up our most successful year by far. We've learned how to do this really well. I've made a lot of mistakes in the past and learned from those mistakes and we have the best team culture. We have the best resources we've ever had. And we've got a lot of support from outside donors and sponsors. And so right now that we've got a, a lot of great momentum and just got to keep that going so that we can 
do one of the purposes of this program, which is have these athletes in the 2028 Olympic Games and then win some medals while they're there. And is Project Podium the main development pipeline for the men under USAT or is is it running parallel with other projects of some sort? We do have a couple other projects. So we have a program called the High School Recruitment Program where we look at NCAA, or not NCAA, we look at high school running and high school swimming results. And we have a program that basically runs all of the the database that we've got with those finish times and it sends us message if an athlete has hit a threshold in both swimming and running and then we reach out to their high school and try to get in contact with them tell them about triathlon support their first several triathlon events including equipment getting them to the event seeing if it's something that they want to do It's actually pretty interesting with some of those calls that we jump on and you've got these these young athletes and their families that have no idea what triathlon is. They think it's like we even had someone didn't even know swimming was part of it. They thought it was kayaking was one of the sports. And then we've thrown them into one of our domestic junior events. And then on day one, they're one of the best athletes in the race. So that's a that's a new program we actually started in 2023 and we're also learning how to do that one better and so the, the goal there is even if they go and run in NCAA and they they run or swim they've still been exposed to triathlon and the goal is that they they eventually jump into the sport full time we already have several females that have accepted NCAA triathlon offers from universities. And so now we have athletes that didn't even know what the sport was several months ago, and now they're going to school for free and part of a development program in the sport. And then we also have a very successful program called the college or the collegiate triathlon program or the collegiate recruitment program. So that's where Katie Seferis, Gwen Jorgensen, Summer Rappaport, Morgan Pearson, Matt McElroy, all of our top athletes in the country, they've come through that program. And we look for NCAA runners that have a swim background. And then it's bonus if they have a, a cycling background, but we we put them in that program, set them up with a great coach, and then they they develop very quickly because they are a little older and so it's kind of our our fast track to the top instead of a long drawn out process like the high school recruitment program and project podium but it has been one of the most successful development programs in the world yeah i did have barb lindquist on quite a few years ago at this point talking about uh, that collegiate recruitment program but coming back to project podium then so so you get the athletes in at after high schools around 18 years of age and they study online through arizona state university where are you guys based for the training when you're not traveling for races so for eight months of the year we're in tempe arizona where arizona state is Part of our partnership also allows us to use their athletic facilities. And in the U.S., especially Division I NCAA schools, 
like Arizona State have great athletic facilities and it's it's pretty ideal being able to jump on a pool deck, have athletes get in the water while Bob Bowman and his athletes like Lear Marchand are getting out of the water at the same time. And so you're just around like an incredible group of athletes and incredible coaches in a, in a place like that. So we've got Tempe, Arizona for eight months, and then it gets very, very hot in Tempe during the summer. That It will even get consistently over 120 degrees Fahrenheit, like 45 degrees Celsius during the summer. So it's just an, impossible to get ideal triathlon training unless you want to work out in the middle of the night where it's dark outside. So we, we move the program to Park City, Utah and get a four month altitude block in. And so we, we just drive north for several hours. Park City is, there's an Olympic training center there and it's mainly for winter Olympic sports, but because it's, it's a very popular ski area. But during the summer, there's not many people there. There's not many athletes there. And so we're able to stay in the apartments and the dorms there over the summer with no problem. And the, the cycling and the running is world-class there. And it's, it sits at about 2,000 meters. So the altitude is pretty ideal. And then we can drop down to about 1,000 meters in 20 minutes, 20 minute drive. So they can sleep high. And then when we want to get speed work in, we can just drive 20 minutes down the mountain and we're in Salt Lake City and we have access to tracks and pools down there with no issues. So it's pretty ideal. You get, you get the, the desert during the winter and where it's snowing in most of the rest of the country, we're still in shorts and t-shirts during the summer or sorry during the winter winter and so we pretty much try to chase that perfect ideal weather conditions year-round yeah that sounds great and so what what is the state status of the project so far what can you name some of the alumni that have come out of it and and yeah how do you feel now what is it five years in that that you are progressing with it yeah chase mcqueen and dar smith are two of the athletes that have graduated from the program and the the goal is to basically keep them in the program through 23 years old and then they'll graduate out of the program and then go to coaches like ryan bolton or ian o'brien and continue their triathlon career from there my goal is that Ryan and Ian get a well-developed athlete with a lot of experience that they can just put the finishing touches on. We we now have the athletes that we have in the program now, Luke, Anthony, Reese Vandersom, Carter Stolmacher, Keller Norland, Sullivan Middall. We've got two para-triathletes, Chris Hammer and Owen Cravens. Like those are just some of the athletes that are in the program now. We've got 10 total. So we, we have quite a mix now. We've got the, our paratriathletes have had the best year that they've ever had. 
Both of them will go to the Paralympic Games in Paris next year. Chris won his category and while he while we were in at the Paris test event and then Owen got third. So both of them are on the podium. And so the the things are looking very good for them going into Paris. And then with our young athletes like Reese, Carter, Luke, they've had the opportunity to race Super League this year as well, which has been really good for their development and like specifically on the bike. And I mean, you just can't, you just can't pay or, or like try to get experience like they're getting there. I've got a video from just two weeks ago of 18 year old Carter standing on the line and you got Jonathan Brownlee to his left and Alex E to his right. And that these guys are 18 and getting to race against five of the past six Olympic medalists. Just Alistair Brownlee's the only one missing on that start line when it comes to Olympic podiums. So it's, it's pretty awesome them getting experience like that from Super League and then being able to take them into a, a Continental Cup and then down a level and just see even if, in a few weeks how much they progress. But we've, we also took, we had four athletes go to the Junior World Championships in Hamburg earlier this year. And we had three boys in the top eight. That's the most that any country has had other than Great Britain in the history of triathlon. In the, basically, in the, in the, the triathlon format, there's been a, a few years where things have been turned into a duathlon and France has had some athletes, three athletes in the top eight. But uh, as far as triathlon specific, the only country to do that is Great Britain. So we've got very good momentum there and the athletes are definitely headed in the right direction. Then we've also, one one thing I'm a big advocate for is doing formats outside of just the normal world triathlon format because a huge part of my job is longevity in the sport. It's making sure that we don't burn them out, that I don't take them to all these hard races all around the world and they start to lose the love for it. It's giving them opportunity to sharpen their skills, but also do different formats that keep it fun and entertaining and something that doesn't ever get boring. So Keller Norland and Sullivan Middall, in addition to their world triathlon season, they also raced Xterra off-road triathlon series. And Xterra added the World Cup series this year and just basically had more prize money and more emphasis and and kind of their version of a WTS season. And both of those guys were able to race the majority of the races in that. And then Keller finished top 20 and Sullivan was third in the short track at the world championships and fifth in the individual full distance. And then won the, the U S championship in Beaver Creek, Colorado. And I think that mountain biking translates over to road cycling very well. Doesn't necessarily work the other way around. You don't see the, the best road cyclists be able to go jump on a mountain bike and be successful, but you can see it. The best mountain bikers can translate things over to the road pretty well. And in and, and triathlon, there's athletes like Flora Duffy and Hayden Wild that 
have been really successful at off-road and then obviously really successful in, in world triathlon and in the Olympic Games. And if you look at cycling specifically, some of the best cyclists and road cyclists in the sport right now, like Matthew Vanderpool, Van Art, Tom Peacock, like guys like that, they're, they were and still are some of the best mountain bikers in the world. So even if they don't race Xterra, pretty much all of our guys are mountain biking once or twice a week just to help with those bike handling skills. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting interesting point. So when an athlete joins the program at around eighteen, and you have them for four or five years before they they graduate, what what is how do you look at the long term development plan for for that period of their lives, but but even also beyond that? What what are other than the longevity and not burning them out? As you said, keeping things varied. Are there any other things that? that you think of in terms of training planning or racing planning or, or other things? Yeah. Like the most important thing is to be patient. It's there, there's like, there's a easy way to get them very fast, very quick, but it also will burn them out and getting an athlete to a high volume. And especially when they come from high school and most of them haven't done a lot of volume, it will get them fast very quick but i think one of the most important things is skill development first and foremost and i mean really the bulk of my job for the first year or two is just teaching them how to be a professional and that's on things even outside of the sport so all of these athletes are moving from their parents home for the first time and they're essentially taking care of themselves for the first time in their life. And they've never necessarily gone to the grocery store and bought their own food. And there's just the simple things in life, like learning how to take care of yourself. That is not just for them, but anybody when they're leaving their parents' house for the first time. So a lot of that is teaching them how to be a professional, how to take care of themselves, There are a lot of up and downs. And I think that a big, one of the things that my athletes know from me is that in this program, they have permission to fail. Like if they have a really bad race, that's okay. Like that failure, you look at any successful athlete and any successful person in life in general, and every single one of them will tell you about failure and how that played a key role into their success after they've learned from that failure. So they don't, I don't have the expectations that these guys are on the podium in every race that they do. While of course that would be nice. Like I, I think that the reality is they're, they're going to have very good races and then they're also going to have bad races and they're going to have good training days and they're going to have bad training days. And as long as we learn from it, we talk about it, we talk about why it happened that is a key part of them being successful in the long term. Another big part of what we do is uh, personality testing. And when each athlete comes into the program, they take a personality assessment called Clifton Strengths. And basically, it helps me understand how they tick, how they think, how their brain works. And I grew up where all the coaches that I worked with I needed to adapt to their personality in order to get the most out of the coach-athlete relationship. 
and communicate to them a, a specific way. And the reality is that it should be the complete opposite of that. I should understand my athlete's personality and how they communicate best and then adapt to each athlete and communicate with them. Like my, my job is to pull out performance, help them perform the best that they can. And in order to do that, I have to adapt to them, not the other way around. And ever since we added that piece into the equation, it's been, we've had a lot of success and some good momentum and it's helped my coach athlete relationships a lot, but it's also helped our team dynamic. Conflict between athletes is extremely minimum now. Everyone understands that I'm trying to communicate with each one of them in the best way possible. And so there's no confusion there that I might be talking more directly to one athlete or more of an encourager to another. So that, that's been a key point of what we've been doing as well. Yeah, that's very interesting. Are there any other things that you use the personality testing for other than the communication between you and the athletes? Yeah, we we actually we use it for a lot. Each athlete does have their own bedroom in both Tempe and in Park City, but it, they share an apartment. It's a two-bedroom apartment in both locations. And I pair them together based off of their personality assessment. Like it's pretty easy to look at, at things and see these two people are going to get along a whole lot easier and close proximity to each other most of the day than these two athletes. And so we, I pair their roommates together. I pair even roommates on trips uh, when we're at races and it's, it's helped a lot. So there's, there's that, there's all that basically there's also, we have sports psychologists that works with each one of our athletes as well. And he's been a key component and to also looking at those personality accept assessments and helping me not just with communi like the communication piece is not just important from the day to day, but it also after a race, how does, how do I communicate with an athlete? So naturally I like to be fairly positive and an encourager. And before we use this, I, one of my athletes had a bad race to, to both of our standards, but he still was six in that race. Like we felt like he, the guys that beat him, that he should have beat them. And I was looking for something positive to say after the race. And I said something positive to him as soon as he finished. And he didn't talk to me for three days because he felt like I didn't care about his performance nearly as much as he did. And then after we finally talk, spoke through things and cleared everything up, then we also put in that the personality assessment into the piece so that I could understand him better. And But he all the athletes also know my assessment as well so that they understand how I naturally think. And, and ever since that day, like he, he just, he basically just wanted it real. He didn't, he doesn't want any fluff. He doesn't want me to try to make it look better than it is. He wants me to call it out, us be able to fix it. And so like there was, he, he had, more successful races after that, but then there was another race that he did not race well 
and I learn. I have on my phone uh, in the notes section, I've got exactly the feedback that I need to give each athlete on both training and after competition. And, and so I remember he was having a bad race, went straight to my phone, looked at, okay, here are the key points on look at the specifics, look at the areas for improvement, don't sugarcoat anything. And then we had a, a brief like 15 minute conversation after the, the race and it was great. He went from a, a bad race in Karlovari to one of his best races in Hamburg just a week later. Yeah, that's fascinating. And mm-hmm. and the final question, final follow-up on the personality assessments. I think, did you say that it was Clifton Strengths? Is that the one? So mm-hmm. how come you chose that one? There are a lot of different options available. Yeah. So what is the strength of, of that particular one? Yeah, so... I, we, we've done a couple different types. We've done disc, we've done Enneagram. I liked the Clifton strengths a whole lot more because to me, it just, it helped make things pretty clear. Like some, something like disc is a little bit more simple and they either, they fall into one of four primary categories, but in Clifton strengths, there's, I think there's 30 or so different, different things. And I, and I think that when you when you look at it, one of the things that I really liked about the research is it Clifton Strengths was developed by Gallup. Gallup does a lot of polling and like they do a lot in the political world, but then they also do a lot for companies in the US. And basically this assessment was created because Clifton or because Gallup wanted to find what made successful people successful. So they, they did, they made these questions because they, they wanted to see what did all these most successful people in their fields all have in common. So that when you're trying to recruit, whether it's for a sports team or a CEO or something like that, that you can look for a specific personality trait and then hire somebody based off that personality trait. And after they they surveyed over 20,000 professional athletes, CEOs, successful executives and the only thing that they found in common was that none of them had anything in common. And so what they they then went back and tried to look closer at the results and ask follow-up questions and what they learned was that these people were successful because they were environments that allowed them to use their strengths and be themselves. Instead of making each one of these people fit into a specific mold and you have to do things of a specific way, they were in environments that let them thrive in the areas that they needed to thrive in. And so some athletes need a lot of structure. Other athletes need more communication. Like for, for me, like I have athletes that I can put it on the training plan that no questions asked, training's done, give me feedback and training peaks. Uh, we talk after the session, it's all good. And I have other athletes that not because they don't trust me, just because they want to understand, they ask questions on everything. Like they see training go up, they want to know why. I want to know all the specifics and 
a, they're a lot more analytical and they're in an environment where that doesn't threaten me. Like them asking those questions aren't threatening and I don't see it as disrespectful. I, I want them to learn and want them to understand what they need to understand, especially because of how analytical they are when it comes to being bought in. I think that the key is like athletes can be doing a hundred percent the right training for them, but if they aren't bought in and they don't believe in it, they're not going to be successful. And then they can be, they could be doing 75% of physiologically what's right for them, but be completely bought in and way more successful than, than what I said previous. So all of this stems back to making sure that each athlete is in an environment that allows them to use their strengths and be their best. But also like that, that's the main reason why we decided to use the Clifton strengths because it more than the other assessments, I feel like it helps me understand what type of environment and what type of culture I need to create in order for each athlete to thrive. That can be hard. That can be hard to do in a group environment, but we've fine-tuned it and we've learned how to do it a whole lot better. That, that's really, really good insight. And it's something that has come, actually come up in a few recent episodes with uh, the biopsychosocial model of performance and in mm-hmm. for people that want to go into the research a bit, like John Keeley's work on on that. And yeah, it, it's just quite quite fascinating to hear how yeah. you've, almost taken it to the next level with the with this personality test and using that one one other question that i want to go back on with the long-term development when you mentioned about volume and focusing on skills earlier on and being patient what does that look like what is what would be a typical athlete coming in their first year what what is their let's yearly training hours if you know off the top of your head and and how would you progress that over the years yeah it's very different for each athlete so I actually, when I'm recruiting, I mean, I'm, I'm recruiting and looking at like 17 year old guys for the most part. And when I'm recruiting and you look at their results, an athlete that's already training at a high volume is a little bit of a red flag because I need to make sure that there's still a lot of room for development. And an athlete that basically comes to me is swimming 25k a week running under 20 miles or under 20 30 miles and then biking only a few times a week and they've been a successful junior domestically that is kind of my bread and butter like that's like those are the kids that i'm really looking for because it's it's easy to be faster than all of your peers when you're training double than them but it's also limiting the long-term ability for them to get a lot faster. And even now that we're, we're sports science is a big part of what we do. I've got a bachelor's degree in exercise science and a master's degree in coaching and exercise science. And then also a certified exercise physiologist through the American college of sports medicine. I think that that's very much key. And when an athlete comes into our program, we do some specific physiological testing just to see kind of what type of engine they have, but also 
how much room I still have to develop them. So if, if they're winning races at the junior level and they're successful, and then you see that from VO2 and threshold standpoint that there's still a lot of room for improvement, that is, that's awesome. Like that's what you're looking for. But if I have an athlete that comes in and they tell me that they've been training for 30 plus hours a week for two years, I do some testing with them and it shows that they're close to their peak. Then I'm, I'm not really interested in that athlete because there's only so much that I can do with. So each, but with that said, each athlete's coming into the program with different strengths. One of the things that I used to do when we started the program was I had in my mind what I felt like a professional triathlete really needed to look like. And it was basically a, a fast runner with a swimming background that I can teach how to bike. And what we ended up doing is having a lot of athletes with the exact same skill set. And they were improving, but it wasn't nearly as successful as what it is today, where I've looked for athletes that are exceptional in one of the three sports and have a background in the other two. And what that means is that you've got Carter Stolmacher coming in, highly, highly successful open water swimmer, and not as much of a background in swimming and cycling. And then Sullivan Middle, it was a world-class cyclist when he came into the program, solid runner with little swim background. And then you've got Reese Vandersom, who's broke the Texas state record in high school in the 3,200, uh, was a state champion miler as well, and also had a background in swimming and cycling, but not nearly what he had in running. So th those are three examples, but those three athletes training together, and you have a great cyclist, a great swimmer, a great runner, they all help develop each other in those sports. And so it's kind of the whole, the a rising tide floats all ships. And it also helps me keep, there's no necessarily alpha male part of the group. Everyone knows that them, like Reese knows having Sullivan as his training partner, Sullivan knowing Reese is his training partner. They, that's what they want. They want someone that's pushing them and that's better than them at, at a sport that they feel like that they and that we both know that they need to develop more in. And what, what that's done pretty quickly is we've seen a lot of improvement as soon as they get into the program just a few months in. So when it comes to volume, when it comes to intensity, like it really depends. Like we, we will, I'll do one of the things that we've incorporated into the group this year is the inside testing and using the inside software. And after we go through the assessment in all three sports, it basically shows me exactly where we need to focus our attention. And that looks different for each athlete. The good news is in a group of 10, everyone's got someone else that's on a similar progression and similar training plan. But my goal is to have the best training plan for each individual with the benefit of doing that in a group environment. 
that may mean that we go to the track and with 10 athletes, there's four different workouts going on, just depending on what they need. So for, for the individual success, I don't sacrifice individual success just to have a group environment. One of the things we say often is that this isn't a fitness club where everyone just shows up and everyone gets to do a workout together. It's an elite daily training environment. And that may mean that they're doing a workout on their own that day. They just happen to be in the pool and on the track at the same time as their teammates. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And and again, it's something that came up very recently. Actually, I haven't even published it by the time that we record this. But in, in the last week's episode, it will be by the time listeners hear this, I had... Torben Rokedalaus on, a Danish coach in one of the performance centers of triathlon Denmark. And he had he talked about very similar things to you there that yeah, you have the group go to the track, but there might be a, a number of different workouts going on and and yeah, adjusting for the individual even within a group environment. So I feel like that's becoming more and more common when maybe five years ago it it was more even in an elite envir- environment people all doing the same workout and and that tide seems to be changing but can you give us an example just pick one of the athletes or and you don't even have to name them if you don't want to but give us one example of a training week that the one of the project podium athletes might go through and explain a little bit about the context of it as well yeah so like i could say kind of typically they're swimming about 25k a week cycling eight to 12 hours, just depending on who they are. And then one of my goals is to gradually and, and, and safely increase run volume for the majority of these guys, expanding their aerobic capacity is kind of like mission number one, like being able to, and, and obviously there's multiple ways to do that. But for an athlete coming in at 18, 19, it's, it's basically just improving or increasing volume. You can do that the right way and the wrong way. And the wrong way normally ends up with a stress fracture or lower leg injury. One of the things I'm really proud of is in, pro- in probably the past four years, we have had only one overuse injury in four years. And a big key to that is regular body work. And one of, and, and each athlete to athlete agreement, they're required to get a massage once a week that we, that we pay for. But you wouldn't think that that would be something that would be hard for people to commit to. But I think with busy schedules, it can be hard to get to a massage sometimes, but we have set that all up so that they recover well. But the, that's that's kind of like when it comes to run volume, it is very, very different. I have some guys who are only running about 30 miles a week, but then I have others that have been in the program for a while that we've been able to get up to as much as 80 miles a week. And it, it depends on the time of the season as well. But from an hour standpoint, it's it's pretty wide. You've got athletes training 20 hours a week and others training 30 and and a lot of that too just depends on what we're trying to improve with inside testing one of the like basically two of the things you're really looking at is what their what their current 
aerobic capacity is, what their VO2 is, and what their current anaerobic capacity is, their VLA max. And depending on what you need to improve, like VLA max requires a lot more intensity. And so if an athlete needs a lot more intensity, then their volume is going to look a lot lower. Some need a, a mix of the two. And then others, if, if the goal is just to expand aerobic capacity, one of the safer ways to do that is increasing volume gradually. And then there's also VO2 specific sessions that we'll throw into the mix there as well. So hope that answered your question. It's kind of, it is another one of those, like it depends type answers, but I, I do have, like, I'll take Reese Fannerson, for example, he came in to the program after having one of the most successful high school running careers in the entire United States, which was, it was a, it was a huge success getting him to come to our program and not take a NCAA running scholarship and go traditional college. But he, his volume in all three sports was, was pretty low. There was a lot of intensity. He's training as a middle distance runner, mile, two mile. So like 30 miles a week was kind of max for him and was cycling maybe four hours a week and then swimming probably like 15, 18 K a week. And so mission number one with him coming in was just getting him to train more and do it safely. And so now fast forward to where he is like seven, eight months later, and he's swimming 25 K a week, cycling 10 hours a week, and then running a 40, 45 miles a week. And, and then he was sixth in Hamburg at the, at the junior world championships. He's the current run leader in the super league championship series. So running specific, he's got the fastest run splits in super league right now. That's part of our strategy though. And him walking away with money and helping that he's part of the warriors team. And so giving run specific points to the warriors was one of the reasons why they accepted him on the team. But that's just an example, obviously like 30 to 45 miles might not seem a lot of a change, but it is, it's a lot for, for someone of that age and he's handled it great. He's not like, there's been no signs of injury or anything like that. And so the goal is just to improve that over time because someone like him, who's a really successful middle distance runner, his VLA max is like right where it needs to be already where he has room for improvement is his aerobic capacity. So improving his VO2. And so that's where a lot of the specifics and the focus has been. Can you give an example of, of that? So what would, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, the volume is a key component of that, but when he does specific sessions mm -hmm. to improve his VO2 max, what, what does that look like? Or an example of that? Yeah. So like on the track to improve VO2, like ideally you're doing something like at the least two and a half minutes of an effort, VO2 effort. And so for him, that looks like doing 1000 meter repeats with, and that, and the, the beauty of doing inside testing is 
one of the, and, and even Sebastian Weber will tell you this, is that based off each athlete's profile and understanding how they combust, how they combust lactate, I can also prescribe their rest intervals. And it, like, I think that's one of the most widely misunderstood keys to plan development and program development is you basically give an athlete an intensity and then every athlete's getting the same amount of rest when the reality is each one of them are combusting lactate at a different rate and understanding how efficiently they do that is also how you prescribe their rest interval. And so the goal with a, with a session like that is to make sure he's getting an effort that is targeted at improving his VO2 max, but then also making sure that he's got a rest interval that's appropriate to combusting enough lactate that it doesn't start to become too much of an anaerobic session. So to, I mean, just to be honest, like I've got 10 athletes and so I have to look back at each one of their metabolic profiles when I'm, when I'm writing their training program. So I don't have that memorized. So I can't tell you off the top of my head what it looks like, but it's, it's just a little bit more specific. It may be two and a half minutes rest for some, or it may be five minutes rest between 1k repeats for others. Yeah, got it. So let's move on to discussing a little bit more about training for amateur athletes because you do coach amateur athletes as well, mm -hmm. I know. So let's start with a general but fun question. If you could give three pieces of advice to age group athletes listening to this interview, what would that be? Don't get the Ironman tattoo. That's number one. No, <laughs> I think, I mean, with amateur athletes, to be honest, it's, it is a lot more simple than coaching elites because the, the majority of it is just getting them to train more and finding ways to do that. Like everything that we're talking about with some of this physiological testing is looking at the, like wh where to improve every 1%. With amateur athletes, it's all a lot of them have families, a lot of them have full-time jobs, and you look for areas in their schedule to just have them training, taking them from six hours of training a week to 10, or from eight hours a week to 12, and you're going to see improvement pretty fast. So yeah, so three, can you ask that question one more time? Yeah, it was three pieces of advice yeah. to improve your triathlon performance. So I think looking for ways, to, areas to increase your volume, more importantly, is to prioritize rest. If I had someone that asked me the other day, what's the main difference between an elite and an amateur? And I, I think that it's how they do recovery. If you think of the average age group triathlete, it's waking up at 5 a.m. to get one, one of their workouts in then doing a full work day, taking their lunch break and doing another workout and then working out again at the end of the day. And what they're doing is they're hurting their recovery, not getting enough rest. So increase volume, prioritize rest and hire a coach. I'm biased, but I think that <laughs> that is a key. 
Well, that's that's something that can definitely help because increasing volume and prioritizing rest, they kind of counteract each other, you would say. So I, I guess finding the balance of that is, is a critical component because you can increase your volume and hurt yourself if you fall too much on the side of of just neglecting your rest. And yeah. equally, at some point, if you're not training enough, no matter how much you think that you need to rest you're not going to improve if you have been training at a stable level for a certain amount of time and you just need a, a new overload to to be able to improve more so so i think that makes makes sense it's not it's not easy to do though that's that's the hard part right uh, let me see here you already answered a couple of other questions that i was going to to ask actually within that so that's that's good well i guess this one then is a natural follow-up how would you make how do you make the most of limited training time if we're talking about eight to ten hours of training per week for a lot of athletes what yeah how do you get the most bang for buck for the training that you're doing there yeah i think it it depends on what race that they're competing in i think that if they're training long course and they're and they're training for an ironman or an iron distance triathlon like you, you look for where's the most time spent in the race and you may, you may add five hours a week of training in the swim and see 10 minutes of improvement in an iron distance swim, which is like, that would be huge 10 minutes. But then if you were to put that similar amount of time on the bike, that could turn into 30 minutes. And so I think long course, you really want to focus on cycling and then obviously being able to run well off the bike. But a lot of that has to do with the nutrition piece and how much you're eating while you're on the bike. Short course, like if, if they're one, one of the things that's now becoming a lot more popular in the, in the United States is draft legal triathlon. And a lot of, in Europe, draft legal triathlon has been popular and age group triathletes have done that for a long time, but it's taken a while for that to really take off in the U S. So if it could be completely different, if someone, if an age grouper is really focused on draft legal, then the swim is a huge piece of it because if they're not coming out of the water in the right spot, then, then they're, they're basically just playing catch up the entire race. And it has a big impact on their finished position. So on limited time, I think you look for one, the biggest area of improvement, but also what is your strength. And a big mistake that a lot of athletes, both elite and age groupers make is they focus so much time on their weakness that they lose what made them a good athlete to begin with. And so don't ignore your, your strength and make sure that you keep that a weapon on race day and where do you stand on things like how much intensity you can do if you are on a limited time budget do you do proportionally a bit more intensity or do you plan how what kind of intensity you do differently mm-hmm. or even how you do your easy workouts do you focus more on let's say zone two work rather than zone one work for your easy workouts yeah so I, I also incorporate inside testing with my amateur athletes as well. 
And so they'll go through the whole protocol with that, that they have with getting lactate and putting, and then if they come and they're able to travel to me and I'm able to do the testing myself, I also have a, a Cosmed K5 like metabolic cart. So we're also able to get gas exchange and do economy testing as well. And really that, that helps me. It makes it so much easier to actually know how to make them improve and do it on limited time. So if, if an athlete needs to improve their aerobic capacity, then we can spend a, a good amount of time in zone two and we don't need to get a ton of intensity in for them to do for them to improve. If they need to improve their VLA max, then there's a whole lot more intensity built into their plan. And then when we look at swim and running economy, it may be a whole lot more focused on technique than it even is on intensity and volume in order for for them to improve. So inside basically just helps me look at what where we need to point our focus and it makes that process for improvement fairly simple this might be a general question because we don't necessarily know what the athlete's strengths and weaknesses are but if you can give some specific advice within each discipline something that you see that okay this is an area within the swim that a lot of athletes could improve this is an area within the bike that a lot of athletes could improve and amateur athletes here still yeah can you give one one or two tips for each discipline that that athletes can maybe maybe change or improve to to increase their performance So in swimming, video feedback is really important. Like swim economy, like, so, so for example, we, we just did swim swim economy testing uh, here in, in Switzerland. I have one athlete that like for, for him to swim a hundred and like for him to swim a minute and 20 per hundred meters at that pace takes half the energy that it does from one of my other athletes. Their VO2 is very similar, but their economy and their technique is completely different. And it's it makes a 50% difference. So when it when it comes to age group triathletes, I think looking at video feedback is you you may think that you're swimming a certain way. You may think that you're pull looks a certain way and that your follow through and that your head position and body position looks a certain way. And then you look at video and you could realize that it's completely different. And so I think video feedback is really important. And now it's more simple than it's ever been. And if, if you have an iPhone, I mean, I, I stick my white, my iPhone in the water all the time to get video feedback and it's, it's like waterproof to a certain amount of meters under the water. And I've had no problems and never ruined a phone from doing it. And it's, so there's, there's that piece. There's also on the bike, getting a really good bike fit is also very much worth the investment. I think that if you go to most 70.3s in Ironman, you see athletes on a $15,000 bike and none of them are in the aero position. They're all on their hoods. And so I think 
making sure that you invest in someone who's an expert bike fitter. We use Psychologic in Scottsdale, Arizona is where we do all of our bike fits. And those guys have just been incredible and make sure that you're fit on the bike, not just to make the position look good, but there's also like physical therapy component to it too. And making sure your body's capable of getting in the position and something that's comfortable. And then, and then on the run, running again is just super specific, but I'd, I'd say video feedback on that is really important as well. Making sure that you're running with proper form is going to decrease your chance of injury uh, quite a bit. Yeah, those are, are great, great tips. And uh, you were reading my mind there with the bike fit and $15,000 bikes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the exact same thing that I was thinking of. <laughs> and and actually, I was already thinking about that with video analysis. Although, as you say, you can kind of do it for free with a friend now yeah. very easily. At least get the video itself. Getting the expert feedback maybe is a bit harder. I would recommend paying an expert to to help at least one once or a few times. But But you can definitely get consistent feedback just on your own for free. But yeah, same same thing there. Like it's, I, I think there's still a lot of things that we can, and that's something that I try to highlight on this podcast as well. What what are the areas that are really like good return on investment areas for amateur athletes and and a bike as fun as it as it is. I know it's very fun, but it's probably yeah. the one of the worst return on investments that uh, you can make. And there are so many other things that most people don't do, but are very much worth their the money and but yeah get neglected in in favor of things like a new expensive bike so i like those tips and yeah are there, is there anything else do you have one to two tips that are not directly related to swim bike run but these could be things like strength training nutrition psychology etc for amateur athletes yeah definitely so like my philosophy when it comes to coaching is that a coach is only as good as the team of people he or she surrounds himself with. What that means is like, what what does my support staff look like? Whether it's people that are working with my professional triathletes or people that I have worked with my amateur triathletes. And so nutrition is a huge component to it. We have a, a very good nutritionist, Rasa Troop, that works with each one of our athletes. I've also, I also recommend to all my amateur athletes that they work with her as well because there's i mean there's so many things that are misunderstood when it comes to nutrition and i think there's there's training nutrition obviously but then there's daily nutrition and there's there's kind of like blurred lines when it comes to that because like if it if someone does a hard workout and then they don't eat for an hour or so, then they're missing out a lot on recovery and could mess up what tomorrow's workouts look like. And so I think in investing and working with a nutritionist is important. Like I said, the bike fit component is really important. But then one of one of the things that I think people don't focus on and just kind of think are are part of just part of understanding and experience is working with a mental skills coach or sports psychologist. Earlier in the interview, you, you mentioned the, like the psychobiological model for endurance performance. 
if you one one of my favorite books that I've read recently is How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald, and he talks a lot about that. And I think, and like one of the easiest things to do, read that book or read something like from Steve Magnus called Do Hard Things. It's one of the same things. There's also another book called Endure. That's another one that it all talks about the mental side of the sport and the sport psychology side of the sport. We work with the Daphne group is a group of mental skills coaches. Michael Daphne started the company. All of our athletes work with a mental skills coach called Giovanni Bianco. He's Italian, but lives in the States. And I, I don't, I have him. He works with not just my pro athletes, but he also works directly with my amateur. And there's other, there's other mental skills coaches. There's some females that work with them as well. I have an athlete that's racing Kona here in a few days. She works with one of their sports psychologists. And it's a really, really important piece to the puzzle because if you, if you ask an athlete, how much of the sport do you think is mental? Most athletes are going to give you like a fairly high percentage like even if they say 20, 25%, how much of your training are you actually focusing on the mental side of the sport? Like what is your, your daily mental practice? Like what are, you, what are you focusing on there? Because whether you're doing a short distance race or you're doing an Ironman, the, there's a huge mental component to it. One of the th- things that Matt Fitzgerald talks about and how bad do you want it is Rate of perceived exertion is obviously a really important piece to athletic performance and athletes understanding RPE. But the more important piece to it is there's RPE, rate of perceived exertion. There's how you feel, but then there's also how you feel about how you feel. Like, what if you, if you, if you, if you feel like you're at a nine out of 10 effort during a race? How do you feel about that? How are you going to react to it? And you see a lot of people shut down and kind of give up. But then if you, if you've spent time on developing the mental side of the sport, then you already have a game plan for when things start to feel harder than you feel like they should. And whether that's positive self-talk or whether it's focusing specifically on the data and what you know that what pace you know and what heart rate you know that you can compete at. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to that, but that's those are those are things outside of actual swim, bike, and running. Nutrition and mental side is is really important. Yeah, yeah, and and I know that th- there might be some pushback to that. Well, I'm I'm already like at my limit with training. How am I supposed to do some mental skills work? But do, you really do most of that during your actual training. So even if you yeah. just have a session with somebody that can give you some pointers, hey, focus on these things during your training, and then that can contribute to how you perform on race day, and it can be a significant difference, then I think that that's something to to keep in mind. Because as you say, whatever the proportion is of how, how much is mental, there is certainly a, a big component of psychology and mental skills in triathlon so so i completely agree with uh, with what you say there just 
A couple more questions to finish off before the rapid fire questions. Is there something that as a coach you've changed your mind about or think differently about now compared to say five years ago? Yeah, that's a good one. I think that maybe it's not necessarily changing my mind, but it's understanding it better. And I know I keep plugging it, but it's, it is a big piece to what we do now is using inside and the physiological data even more than, than we have before. But it's, it's actually like using that data and understanding deeper how to use it. And so I think the, the understanding of VLA max and what that means is something that's a fairly new component. Like when you look at, when you look at traditional understanding of triathlon performance, it's people are constantly asking what's your VO2 and what's your FTP. And when you start to understand the physiology a lot more, it's FTP is not nearly as as a key part of the component to everything when you understand anaerobic capacity, which is different than anaerobic threshold. And so I, I think, I think basically the focus and understanding of VLA max and how to improve it is probably the, the biggest change in the past year for me. And what is something that you're trying to learn more about or are focusing on implementing at the moment? I think, uh, Probably, probably looking at, I'd say the group dynamics are always a really important piece to what I do. Like I do, obviously, like you said, I, I coach amateur athletes and a lot of that's done remote, but the bulk of my day is, is working with athletes in person. Honestly, what I'd say is it probably has nothing to do with sport in general. The thing that I'm working on the most is balance between the rest of my life and, and coaching at the elite level. And a lot of like to do this really well as a coach, you spend a lot of time out of the United States and you spend a lot of time on the road and a lot of time traveling. And that, that means in many cases, it's a lot of time away from family. And, and I feel like it's really important at the elite level and elite coaching to make sure that you do stay grounded and you have good balance in your life where in something like triathlon, it feels like there's always more that you can be doing as a coach. There's always more you can be giving your athletes. But for me, my family is very, very important. And I've got a wife and two young daughters and making sure that I keep that balanced and that I, I do when I'm with my family, that I'm really present. For me, that can be hard. Like it can be really easy to, my mind's always moving. And when I'm at home with family, just really focusing on my girls and making sure that they get as much out of me as I can give them and then turn off triathlon for a little bit and I'll focus on them is what I'm really working on right now. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's finish off with the, the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence okay. to answer each of these. And what's your favorite book or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? Yeah, I mean, Matt Fitzgerald, How Bad Do You Want It's really good. I'm also reading Steve Magnus, Do Hard Things for the Second Time right now. And what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Oh, <laughs> probably 
it's probably good and bad, but obsession. I'm completely obsessed with the sport. And who's somebody do you look up to or that has inspired you? Oh, man, it's hard to just say one person. I've got very good mentors in my life. So I'm going to give you three. Yeah. Ryan Bolton, Ian O'Brien, Cliff English. Perfect. And finally, where can listeners follow you and also if they want to follow Project Podium? Yeah, so Instagram's the easiest place to do it. So I'm on Instagram and then we've got Project Podium has an Instagram page. I have a full-time photographer, videographer that's with us everywhere we go. And so he manages our social media accounts. Yeah, I I went and had a look and it looked quite professional. So I thought that that might be the the case. Otherwise, (laughs) you or some of your assistants would have a very impressive photography and social media skills. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this has been very fun, Parker. Thank you so much for taking the time and good luck to you and to all the athletes with the final races of the season. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. I want to give another quick Mallorca training camp update, which is that at the moment of recording this, we are close to selling out the standard rooms that we have available. We still have a good amount of overall slots and overall rooms available, but they would be in slightly more expensive room options. So if you want to participate in the camp at the lowest possible rate, then there isn't much time to delay because the standard rooms will probably sell out soon so register as soon as as possible and you can find all the information about registering and the prices and all of that on scientifictriathlon.com for slash mallorca you can also email me directly and ask any additional questions that you might have finally big thanks to our sponsors precision fuel hydration that you can find on precisionfuelhydration.com if you're looking for electrolytes and fueling products i would highly recommend trying them out you can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy and don't forget to take 15 15% off your first order with the code TTS23. And thank you to Form that you can find on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace, stroke rate and heart rate and advanced post-swim analysis. And use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.